to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome. Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. We interrupt this regular scheduled podcast to do yet another family news update here at Jesus Collective. I have with me today, John Hand, our our resident tell you what's up at Jesus Collective person. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Paul. Good to, good to pop in. Yeah. As the resident, tell you what's up. Hey, like um, it feels good. I, like, I think I think my wife uh, would agree with my wife would agree with you on that. As the the resident, tell you what's up, person. So you you pegged <laughs> you pegged it. So tell us what's up. What what have we interrupted our regular schedule program to just let people know uh, what's going on these days at Jesus yeah. Collective? Yeah. Hey, there's a couple things. Um, so you know, Jesus Collective, we say that we are. We are a, a third way centered set network, Jesus centered, third way centered set. And a lot of people are familiar with centered set and some aren't. Um, if you're not familiar with it, we're having a conversation, a two part conversation at the end of the month of February on the 23rd and then March the 2nd for a couple of hours each afternoon, Eastern Standard Time, uh, where we're going to explore with the author of Centered Set Church. His name is Mark Baker. He's a professor at Fresno Pacific Seminary in California. And Mark wrote a book uh, based on, it's called Centered Set Church. It's research on churches that are using a centered set approach for their discipleship. And the book applies it to a bunch of areas of church life. And so we're going to feature that uh, in this these conversations. And we would just love to have Mm. Um, people join us. Now, if you say, what is centered set? So let me give you a brief description and then we'll get back to your regular scheduled programming. So the centered set is a way of holding beliefs that uh, is has a clear center. This is what we believe in, but we hold it in a way that's as generous as possible for those who don't agree so that we are holding as much space as we can as faith communities for people to not agree with us, but it doesn't affect their belonging. You know, the whole belief and belonging yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Um, so the, Mark contrasts this with, with um, bounded set and fuzzy set. So you think like uh, on either side of that centered set, you have bounded set, which is uh, you can belong here as long as you believe like us, case in point. And fuzzy set, which is, oh, we don't believe anything, and so our belonging is about kumbaya with nothing that holds us together in the center that coalesces us. And so um, when when faith goes poorly, you know, you have churches that are bounded set that are very kind of cons- maybe uh, legalistic about their beliefs. And that happens on progressive churches, and that happens in conservative churches who cancel anybody who doesn't agree with them. Mm-hmm. And so... Centered okay. set. Wait, you're saying it happens in both? It just it doesn't just happen. Yes, it happens in both. No, it happens in progressive churches. It happens in conservative churches, mm. and it's happening all around us. Mm. Like this phenomena where we're all going to our ideological corners and echo chambering with people just like us. This is happening. So 
you know, in the states right now, you have Republican churches and Democrat churches. Mm-hmm. You have conservative churches and liberal churches. Uh, you see this phenomena happening in Canada. You see this phenomena happening in, you know, other parts of the world where we are polarizing. And this tool is a, a simple way for us to teach our people how to hold their beliefs with conviction, but in a generous, spacious way. Um, I know that you're familiar with this paradigm. So how has this helped you as a pastor? Yeah, it's helped me in many ways. And I'll just say for those that are listening in on the podcast, we actually did interview Mark Baker a yep. couple podcasts ago. So I'd encourage you to check that out. But I think for us, like this language of that our belonging is not tied to our believing, that we actually allow people to belong and they go on the process of believing and then behaving like it's a process and it helps yeah. us to think less about you know how how particular you are to how much we will love you instead it's just whoever shows up we feel and the permission to just love without abandon right and i think yeah. often the way we form communities whether it's like the girl guides or churches it's like allegiance to a particular you know, covenant sets or a particular behavior set. And this just says like, you could be radically outside what some would consider, you know, the girl guides or like Greenpeace or something like that. And yet your orientation towards I'm pointing in that direction allows you to, to belong. And I think it's just beautiful. Um, For me, it really helps, helps, helps us navigate those tensions of, how do we hold a belief um, and believe it and like affirm it without saying like, who are we excluding by our beliefs? And I think often the assumption is who like we think of our beliefs by the consequences of our belief. And this actually says, hold on, you can hold a belief that has a particularity, but, but doesn't logically exclude because of your posture, how you're forming communities, how you're holding beliefs. And it's really about our, it is about our posture. And that's why it's a discipleship formation tool. And so that's why we call it, you know, centered set discipleship in a judgmental world. You could say a cancel culture world. You could say a polarized world. So how do we hold this, this space as, as churches with Jesus at the center? And we're going to look at, we're going to listen to practitioners and learn from practitioners who are navigating this. We're going to talk to people who are at side A and side B churches on LGBTQ Mm -hmm. and how, a side A church can be centered set and a side B church can be centered set. And the way they hold that, that position um, as a church, making space for the, for the ideological other that doesn't agree with that position, I think is a beautiful thing. I think this mm. is disappearing in our culture and this tool is giving us language for how to hold these tensions. Cause that's where transformation happens mm-hmm. when we're holding these spaces where there's not complete agreement. And I have to listen to you and you listen to me well, that's that's where we think Jesus is doing the good transformational work. But when we become a church of all one kind of belief set, now we are like actually minimizing that opportunity for that kind of mutual challenge and we call it disruption, mutual disruption. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at uh, how do you hold this posture in preaching, teaching and discipleship in like small group communities? Um, how do we do this in the way that we engage culture and secular culture? Um, and then how do we uh, help our millennials and our Gen Zs or Gen Zs 
with that next gen as we disciple them who they have incredible sophisticated sensitivities mm. to these dynamics and so how does this tool set help us disciple them so there's so much more we could say we need to move on but i hope that uh, you go to the website jesuscollective.com you look on our events page you can see centered set discipleship in a judgmental age we would love to have mm. Uh, you join us for that and to bring leaders from your churches. And then last thing I'll say that. Sorry, before you get that, before you get there, what were the dates again on that? Yeah, that's February the 23rd and March the 2nd. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, And then we have a couple, what we call learning labs going starting in March. And so learning labs are groups of people from diverse contexts coming together around a shared challenge and uh, approach that challenge from a place of how do we experiment into this challenge and learn from each other to help us do this in a more Jesus-centered way. And so particularly, there's a couple that are launching in March. There's one that's launching on how do we hold membership? Mm, Like essentially, it's the question of how do we do belonging um, without it being so tied to belief? but beliefs matter. So like, how do we manage those tensions and how we do church membership would be a learning lab that you could check out. That's launching in March, early March. And then the other one is how do we discern things together in community in a way that shares power in decision-making as a community and at the same time honors leadership. So there's a tension there too. And how do we do this in a, in a Jesus centered way? Really these, these two learning labs are kind of applying aspects of this like centered set um, paradigm. And then we're going to do next-gen ministry. So what does Jesus-centered next-gen ministry look like? And that'll be a learning lab launching later in March on the 20th. So um, these are open to anybody. There is a there is a small cost if you're not a Jesus Collective partner. We would love to have you participate. The more the merrier and the more diverse context, the better the learning will be as we kind of hear that contrast from, from each other, um, really seeking to move forward courageous experimentation uh, in how we implement these things uh, in our churches and advance the the mission. So yeah, thanks Paul for the, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead, man. I was yeah. just gonna say something I really appreciate about these learning labs is like the goal is, is like to practice it's built for practitioners. Yeah. And like, That's this right. is not just like, Hey, like we're thinking big, big sky on this. It's like, how does this land on the ground? And I think like any pastor or church leader that, that is really wanting to like have some fruitful results from conversation, they could plug into this and see immediate kind of context to their ministry, which is so, I think that's unique. I haven't run across something like this before. So it's really good. And on that next gen one, I especially would hope a bunch of senior pastors would sign up to be in that because there's some, there's some expert, some generational ministry experts who are going to be in there who are conversant with leadership development and discipleship for youth and young adults, youth, teenagers, and young adults. And uh, I think it's going to be rich. I think that's a place where senior leaders need to have their head. Cause that's, that's so important. They're yeah. the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. Yes. And so yeah. there is, there's lots of opportunity. It's not just for the kids, the children's workers. This is, this is senior pastor level engagement. Mm. Uh, so if you're listening to this, consider that as a yeah. place to to really cheer on your youth and uh, children's ministry, but to like be plotting about how to disciple well the next generation. Yeah, give it all away.
Yeah, give it away. That's I love it. What is that? Keychain, keychain ministry. Hand them the keys. Um, <laughs> so thanks, Paul, for the opportunity. Now back to your regular scheduled programming. Well, thanks for listening in, friends. Uh, here we go. We're going to listen to Paul Eddy, who's going to talk to us about what it means to be the church, to belong together. All right, let's head towards that right now. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Jesus Collective podcast. I am Shauna Boren. And of course, Paul Walker was, is with me. And Paul here I am. deserves... Here I am. <laughs> Always here. Paul deserves a bunch of kudos because he did um, a podcast without me. And so, Paul, good job. Way to pat yourself on the back. And thank you for still being here and not making me do this by myself. I really appreciate that. There was no retributive nature in me. It was no eye for an eye. I was just committed, you know. Yeah, perfect. You are committed. Thank you so much. You're doing all right, Shauna? You're feeling good? Uh, Yeah, yeah. doing all right and feeling (laughs) as good as good can be. So I'm uh, I'm very thankful. Much better than before. So yeah, just uh, going through this holiday season and looking forward to our conversation today. Looking forward to a bunch of stuff coming up um, in Jesus Collective. And yeah, just a good time. Um, how about you, Paul? How are you doing? Paul Walker. I'm going to, you'll understand why I'm specifying Paul Walker in a moment. I think we will have to two name me this entire podcast, but I, I'm doing really good. I would say, um, yeah, it's a good season. We're in Advent right now as we're recording this. So I like reading some of the Old Testament readings. Like I've been a, a bit in Isaiah lately, which for some is actually called the fifth gospel. And so it's just, yeah, I was reading Isaiah 40 the other day and just like comfort, comfort my people. I was like, yeah, this is good. I could use this after, you know, several years of disorientation disruption. So it's just, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with anticipation looking ahead to Christmas. And I think for my context, like this will be the, the Christmas where we're actually all going to gather in person. You know, we tried last year and like a few people came, we were all like, you know, like triple masked or something like that. But largely mm-hmm. Omicron like was like the big bag Grinch last year. And so many people were sick with it, including, including like half our staff. And so like, it's going to just be nice. Hopefully fingers crossed, knock on wood, uh, that, that we could gather and just celebrate, uh, in, in a new embodied way this year. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be really good. It's so interesting, Paul Walker, because you are in Canada. I am in the States and we still uh, both completely understand what you mean by being so excited to be able to be together with the body this holiday season, because we weren't last year, like globally, we all have been through it. Mm. And I think this year we are so thankful, not that everything is over and done, Right. No, there's still, there's still challenges stuff like, happening. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's going to be a lean Christmas. I think for many people, like with inflation challenges like that, mm-hmm. we're, we're dealing with the reverberations post COVID still, if we even yeah. want to say post COVID, cause man, I just had it back in October. It still happened. It's right. Going, right. Right. It's still a real thing. And yet we are thankful and we are mm. hopeful 
because we are seeing um, the ability to be together with our people and our tribe and the folks that we love and the folks that we commune with. And it's really a powerful thing while still holding space for those who are struggling. And I just think that's the beauty of God's kingdom. And I'm happy to share it with you, brother. Very happy. So good. So you're talking a lot about community being together. I am. That sounds like what we're going to talk about today. So Shauna, what are we talking about today? So you guys know that we're in this series, this new Reformation series that the Theology Circle, which is a part of Jesus Collective, has been working on for the better part of a year. And today, I am just the luckiest woman on the planet because I not only am talking with Paul Walker, but I am also getting the opportunity to talk with the Paul Eddie. And so it's Shauna with two Pauls and Paul I'm squared. So excited. <laughs> Paul squared. Um, to the power of so two. we're going to introduce Paul in a moment, but first what we are going to be talking about with Paul Eddie is, um, a second point of the ref, the new reformation, another axiom, and that is to be saved includes belonging to a community Mm. under Jesus called to live the life of the future now. And so, yeah, we're having a lot of community talk today. And what does that mean? Why is it important? What does that look like? And so we thought who better to have this conversation with than the good Dr. Paul Eddy. Um, And so we just want to officially welcome you, Paul. Thank you for being here and say hi to the folks. Well, thank you. It's, uh, It's an honor to be here. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much. Paul Eddy is a one of the pastors at Woodland Hills Church. So that is my home church and I get the honor and privilege of working alongside him. Paul is a teaching pastor and a part of our executive team. Paul is also a professor at Bethel University here in Minnesota, and he is a vital part of the Jesus Collective Theology Circle. And so we've got a wealth of knowledge sitting here with us today and just a good, kind-hearted, kingdom-loving man. And so again, we say, welcome, Paul Eddie. Yay, welcome. So, so Shauna knows you a bit. Paul and like works alongside you, but like I, I know you just kind of more informally. I've heard you on the podcast as Woodland Hills Hills Church there where where you're at. I, I'm curious, what else would you share about yourself that we haven't covered? What are what are some things we need to know about Paul Eddie? Ah, well, let's see. Um, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Um, That's good. There's some news there. Uh, a good start. Yeah, I uh, married to uh, actually celebrating this Saturday my 34th anniversary with my uh, my wife Kelly. Congrats! Yeah. Hi, and, Kelly. Happy anniversary. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, Bethel and Woodland Hills have been uh, my primary contexts of vocation and ministry. And I guess uh, on top of that, uh, I spend every free moment I. But I'm not doing those things. Uh, you'll probably find me researching and writing. Um, one of my great passions in life, and currently that revolves around uh, theology of human sexuality. That's kind of my my area these days. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Hmm. 
that's a that's a lot what do you do for fun though like if if when you're not doing those other things you're researching and and writing like how do you unwind because like I, I i can share a bit in that i love to unwind with a good book but sometimes my relaxation looks a lot like i'm working because <laughs> i do the same that do you do you do anything do you have any hobbies that really help you no, no I, I you know I have no time for hobbies. <laughs> that's great. The strange thing is, if I did, I'd still choose to read and write because that's that's what I love most. Though occasionally, I'll admit it, go on the record, yes, uh, you'll find me on Netflix now and then. So nice. you know, there you go. Oh, what does Paul Eddy gravitate to on Netflix? <laughs> that's a curious question. Well, my goodness. Um, somehow, I've, I've got sucked, sucked into the... Uh, Scandinavian and British detective noir genre lately. Um, I'm praying for each of the people that find themselves in tough situations on those shows. So, you know, (laughs) that is fantastic. (laughs) Oh, thank you for sharing a little bit more about yourself, Paul. Um, Would you like to get into our content for today? Why we're, why we have you on the podcast? Are you ready for that? Or do you want to just chit chat about some more? Netflix stuff. (laughs) Attempting as that is, let's get into why we're here today. Okay, perfect. So, Paul, you helped to work on the these new Reformation statements. You were a part of that team. Yes. And so, this isn't new to you. You're not reading this stuff um, for the first time. But I do want to know, like, as you guys were working on this and formulating this, um, and as you read through that second statement um, of renovation again, what stands out to you? Oh. Okay, we'll just uh, say the statement again, just to get it fresh in your brain. To be saved includes belonging to a community under Jesus called to live the life of the future now. Yeah, yeah. What stands out to me? Man, uh how much time you got. Um, (laughs) So seriously, uh, this statement, uh, I mean, so all five of the statements uh, uh, I love, but there's something about this statement that that screams to me uh, bigger gospel Mm. than than I'm used to hearing, than I have generally heard growing up in the church. Bigger gospel, um, kingdom reframed uh, or some, some of the, the the neon lights that pop in my head because you know if you just look at I, I think the four main parts of this statement this statement is is putting on the table questions about true of salvation the nature of the church the nature of the kingdom and I think refracting all three of those really crucial things I mean salvation church kingdom these are these are the big concepts of the gospel, refracting all of them under Jesus. In other words, the Christ, the, the Jesus-centeredness of this new Reformation movement causes us or should cause us to rethink everything, and including church, kingdom, and salvation through the lens of Jesus, through, through his life, his teachings, his example. His death, his resurrection, his ascension. And when we do that, I, I think it just looks really different than, than the kind of things, uh, again, that, that I grew up uh, hearing about in, in the church. I've, uh, salvation, for example, uh, salvation becomes 
not just something I did in 1979, which I did, but, but it also not has, has three tenses to it, not just the past, but present and future, right? There's three tenses to it. Uh, The church, all of a sudden, it isn't what it was for me for many years, a place I go to on Sundays. It's, it becomes a people I belong to 24 seven. I can't go to church because I am the church. I'm part of the church. Um, and the kingdom, uh, my goodness, it, uh, the kingdom of God ends up, at least in the lens of Jesus, becomes this paradoxical intersection of the already and the not yet. And that we live at that intersection. Uh, that that we're, we're called to cooperate with God as the Spirit empowers us to live out some of the beauty of that future in this present broken world. And so really at, at every turn, this statement just um, reframes and refracts, I think, um, forces me to see salvation church kingdom in a new way through the lens of Jesus. So I think for many folks that may be listening now, depending on what background they come from, they may be surprised that those various segments like salvation, kingdom, uh, ecclesiology, church, like that they aren't being read through a Jesus centered lens. (laughs) And I like, uh, and I especially think like this idea of belonging, this idea of this like salvation as a communal idea, like for many evangelicals, when we think of salvation, we think like a private spiritual experience. Like we read a tract or there was that guy on TV that was like, you know, say the prayer after me, or, or maybe they're at some sort of crusade and it's like, I just come down, say yes to Jesus. You know, the just as I am is playing and you have all the tears and then you go back home and you're like, all right, I did that. I said the prayer. It was, it happened. And so I think I want to ask like, where are you getting this idea that a Jesus shaped view of salvation includes this deep belonging? That it's a communal thing that actually works against some of these more individualistic strategies of evangelism that so many of us are just acquainted with. It's in the water. Right. Right. Before, uh, wait, I'm going to interrupt. I'm so yeah. sorry. Before you answer that, Paul, Eddie, Paul Walker. Why did you go into a very hillbilly Southern accent when you were <laughs> pretending to be a televangelist? Because <laughs> in my experience, okay, in my experience, they're always, that's just how they sound to me. <laughs> like all the good ones, at least I'm like, come down and receive the Lord. Okay, and there's always like, sir. Yes. <laughs> It's just like, that's how it happens, right? Maybe, maybe it's more obvious because there's not a lot of Canadian, uh, televangelists. I'll just put that out there. Like they're not, they're not. And same when I was in the UK, not a lot of UK televangelists. So I'm just saying you guys seem, especially the South, you seem to have some, uh, some monopoly on televangelists. (laughs) Am I wrong? Like pushback? Well, you know, maybe that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a, that's another another topic. <laughs> I'll have to think on that one. Okay, oh, Paul. So we're bringing it back to Paul Eddie. To think. Yeah, there <laughs> talk you go. to us about this idea of salvation as as this communal idea, as a belonging to a community. Um, where are we building this from the scripture? How how is it that Jesus leads us to this conclusion? Yeah, yeah, great question. Because the truth is. Uh, we're not going to find that idea if our primary source of 
uh, approaching the, these these things is the modern Western individualistic context. <laughs> this Ooh, is not going to be on. where we find it. Um, so let me say a couple things about this uh, because I don't want to throw the idea of personal relationship with Jesus under the bus. Um, there's a there's a really good reason I think historically why uh, uh, much of of the contemporary uh, Protestant evangelical certainly church has emphasized this, and that's because for a large segment of church history, personal relationship with Jesus was not much of a thing. Mm. Uh, it was like if if I show up to church on Sunday, and if I you know. Uh, do the right things, including the right sacraments, I'm good. Uh, and so there, there is a, an important dimension to, to personal covenant relationship with Jesus. The problem is when that gets refracted through the cultural lens of modern or postmodern uh, Western individualism, <clears throat> no longer is the personal relationship with Jesus a const- a a component of the, the salvific experience. It is the end all and be all of the salvific experience. So where we actually get this idea of a communal dimension, a necessary communal dimension to the holistic salvation uh, that Christianity offers is what's written on every page of the New Testament. <laughs> uh, it's exemplified and it's explained uh, and this is why it's written on every page of the New Testament, is because it is exemplified and explained in the life and teachings of Jesus at every turn. Um, and, and it's, it's as this has become a, an, a new awakening for me over the last few years about the profoundly communal nature of salvation, I've had to ask the question, how was I able to be a theology professor and pastor in a church for so many years and not see this because quite frankly um i was awakened to this i think in the oh 2006 to 10 when wooden hills church as a as a church we went through a pretty significant theological shift to a more radical reformation approach to seeing things and it's like wow we had to do some real theological adjustment so, um, yeah, it, it's amazing how the water you swim in, in this case, modern Western individualism, filters things out of Scripture that are patently obvious once you put a new lens on. Mm. Um, so that, that, that's a, it, it's there. It's there when, for example, uh, every, when, when the Apostle Paul, for example, says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20, that Jesus is the yes and the amen to every promise of God. Yep. <laughs> right? Well, when we look back, what are those promises of God he's talking about? Well, they're the covenant promises of the old covenant mm. uh, or old covenants, all five of the old major co- of the major covenants and what we call our Old Testament. Well, the third of those covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, can, includes this promise that Abraham's descendants will create a family, a family of God that will in fact be a blessing to quote all the families of the earth. Hmm. Genesis 12, this is the great missional promise of God. And that means a family is the answer to the world's problems. 
not a loose association of individuals, not just my personal relationship with Jesus, but my family covenant sibling relationships mm. with the church of Jesus Christ is the answer and therefore the fulfillment to the covenant promises of God. Mm. Um, I appreciate, I appreciate that you use the word family in reference to Genesis 12 and not like nation. Cause I think sometimes nation can cause me to yes. just think like, uh, you know, sort of disassociated citizenship. Right. But family calls something of me. I, I really love that you, that you reference Genesis 12 as family. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and look, again, I, I want to be saying, let, let's not lay all the blame for this on modern Western individualism, because the truth is the pre-modern church found its own ways to get confused about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think there's just something <clears throat> deep in the hearts of human beings, of, of, of fallen human beings, of broken human beings, of, of human beings estranged from God, which is every human being that's ever lived since the, the fruit was eaten. Um, there's something in us that wants, deeply wants a, a connection with God based on a contractual negotiation rather than a covenantal relationship. And when we negotiate a contract with God for our salvation, it ends up looking very differently than the covenant love relationship that God calls us into, which always includes covenant with the family of God. And, and that, that's, I think, what, what's at the heart of all this. Paul, Eddie, I think you know this about me, that I could listen to you talk covenant all day long, literally. <laughs> I love it. It is so rich and vital and important. And I just don't know why we don't like shout it from the rooftops more. So I'm glad that we're having this part of the conversation, not only covenant with God, which is not a contract, it's not a quid pro quo, but that covenant includes covenanting with the family of God. And that is beautiful. It is glorious, but it also is hard work. (laughs) And I think back, especially I know our church, but many churches throughout, throughout the last several years, we had to kind of shift how we're doing church, how we're providing services to folks. If you want to look at it that way, but going online, it's, it's very convenient now to do church, to, to be a part of a church. And so I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about like, what is the danger or what is wrong with just sitting on my couch, uh, being a pod parishioner, as we like to call them, watching the service and then just being, you know, with me and mine. And, and, and what is, what is the danger in doing that versus really diving into this family that we are covenanting with? Yeah, great question. Uh, I'd say a couple things about that. Um, You know, you're right, Shauna, there is no way around it. Belonging belonging to community is a lot of work. Uh, But look, it's the work for which we were created, right? I mean, to be created in and as the image of God, which I think if we're going to translate Genesis 1, 26 through 28 correctly. It's not just that we're created in the image of God, but we're created in the image of God in order to be the image, to, to reflect the image of God, to, to, to live as the image of God, right? And the image of God we know, at least since Jesus, is the triune God, the God who is eternal community. Uh, Father, loving Son, loving Spirit, loving Father as a, a, an eternal dance of inter-Trinitarian communal love. That's the God we're called to image that that's when, when God thinks humanity, he thinks 
that community of creatures who will image me because it takes community to image a, a communal God. So that means we are created in and for a community if we're created in and for the triune God. Um, so whatever else we do in life, whatever else we do is a sidebar compared to living into community. It might be difficult, but it is the whole point of being human. And so uh, now, now what does this mean for our new, say, technological capacity to jump on Zoom and join a church service without ever leaving my living room, maybe even my pajamas. Um, well, so look, it's been the case for Wooden Hills. I, I don't, you know, I'm sure a lot of other churches can maybe relate to this, but at least for our church, for Wooden Hills, but this is even before the pandemic. For some time now, our parishioners at Woodland Hills have outnumbered our in-person attenders many times over. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. A phenomena for us since 2008, 9, 10. Um, how do I make sense of that as a pastor at Woodland Hills who believes deeply that community is the point of it all? Well, I, I, I need to think of that then, this podrishner phenomena, in the context of what I see modeled in the New Testament as authentic community, right? That, that, that wants to be my, my lens now here. So a couple things. First, I'd point out that an in-person attender at Woodland Hills or any other church can slip into that building and out of that building on a Sunday morning with no more connection or community than a person 1,500 miles away in their living room watching on YouTube. Mm. So I don't think this is simply a phenomena of are you in the building or not? The issue isn't are you a parishioner or an in-person attender. The issue is... Are you, and if so, where are you finding authentic, Jesus-centered community? So this forces the question, um, what is the Sunday morning event? What is that? And the way we've begun to really think of this at Woodland Hills, and this took a while to wrap, wrap our brains around because we realized we have to really rethink, what do we mean by the word church? And yeah. at Woodland Hills, we've, we've concluded that what we must mean by church because we think it's what the New Testament says church is, is three things. D um, missional discipleship community. Those three things. And if you abstract any one of those three things out, it's not church. At least it's not the full expression of church. And when you believe that church is missional discipleship community, Honestly, it's very hard to look at what happens on most churches on a Sunday morning and see those three things. And so but that's okay. Uh, to me, all that means is that what, what tends to happen in most churches on a Sunday morning event is probably more accurately described as a parachurch ministry <laughs> to the actual church. And that's fine because parachurch ministries are wonderful things. Uh, I look at the apostolic net network of the early church as a parachurch ministry that served little house churches all over the Mediterranean world. That's what happened for the first 300 years before we started meeting in cathedrals. We were people meeting in living rooms and the apostolic network of apostles and teachers and ministers traveled around and resourced and supported and encouraged and disciples these little communities. And I see that is what most quote-unquote churches are actually doing today, or at least are called to do today. But that means then that the actual church is those little pods of Christian community, local expressions, 
for Woodland Hills all over the globe now that we are privileged to be able to speak into, to encourage on Sunday, to teach, to, to minister, but to remind that actual missional discipleship community happens on the ground in your local context. And that's going to take some work and risk and vulnerability uh, to find those relationships and to begin making those connections. Hmm. I've heard you say belonging to and belonging for. So I I just, I love that. That's what I'm hearing again, belonging to and belonging for. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, no, that's so good. So I've, I, I want to pull at this thread a bit because I think this is actually kind of exciting because I, I, I listen to, to a lot of church leaders. I talk to a lot of church leaders and I think some of them feel the pressure from their communities that like success in a post-COVID world will only look like when we get everyone back into the big building. And I think like what yeah. you're trying to offer to us is this idea that we could we could actually reframe how we engage the Sunday morning experience. Yes. That Sunday morning could be more of an equipping empowerment, but then the real church could happen in in small micro communities, home churches, life groups, whatever you call them, yes. where they're where they're digesting it, but they're also turning the chairs to face each other and their community. Yes. yes. Um, I'm Absolutely. curious, how have you encouraged people that you've never met geographically embodied? How have you encouraged them to like expand the experience from one person listening to Sunday morning at Woodland Hills to like a a group of people? And where where have you seen success in that? Yeah. Well, and honestly, uh, Shauna would, would be an excellent resource on this as well for how we've done this at Woodland Hills. Uh, Some of the things that come to my mind are, um, you know, we, we, for some time, uh, Woodland Hills, we've seen our role in the sort of parachurch ministry that we call the institutional Woodland Hills Church, uh, us as pastors and, and that system. We've seen our our, our 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 missional calling to do this, to 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 to, to call <clears throat> into existence and to nurture and grow and sustain these micro communities as sort of a three-step process that, that can begin in the fishing pond. Of the, of the Sunday morning experience. Lots of folks turn up there who believe, many, many of them believe that that, that is church, that, that that's the end all and be all of church. But it's, it's, it's our privilege to be able to begin to cast a wider vision and to be able to tease them with, 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 with steps uh, of moving towards that micro place. And so we, we start with that work uh, weekend event, but we want to move then to, to kind of a, a second step where they start to get connected in smaller venues. For us at Woodland Hills, that's everything from uh, support groups or gathering groups where we get to process the sermon, or we have a network of house churches uh, called Sojourners, lots of different venues to move from the the auditorium into actual, as you put it, Paul, chairs facing each other, Mm. whether those chairs are on Zoom or those chairs are uh, in a living room, they are a small context where I see faces, I hear voices, and I talk to people. But then all of that reminding us that it's not just about the support group or processing the sermon. It really is about missional, discipleship, community, all three of these elements eventually coming into existence in some place in our lives together. Uh, it's not easy. It is not easy in an individualistic context as the Western world offers us, but it is New Testament. It is what it means to be human. 
And it is the call of the gospel. I don't know, Shauna, I know you, you have other things to say here because this is a huge passion for you. Let's hear from Shauna. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. One of the coolest things I can say in our context that we experienced through the pandemic and has not slowed down is our ability to connect people to people um, online. And so I'm just going to highlight the gathering groups that you mentioned, Paul, yes, because those yes. are a very, um, those, those are a very tangible way that folks can get on immediately, um, and meet other folks and the, the feedback that I hear. So these are our sermon discussion groups. And during the pandemic, we were like, well, let's just open this up and make them available to non-local folks as well. And so, um, from there, there have been these really cool connections that are made. And so these folks meet every week, uh, online via zoom and they're discussing the sermon. And, but what has happened is, is you have folks literally in other countries, other States, you know, a few cities away that are really feeling connected, belonging, not only to the larger body, but to one another. And it's really cool. The stories that we're hearing back of folks who are like, I no longer feel theologically isolated. I no longer feel all alone. And they even like take road trips to see one another. Like their vacation plans change (laughs) so that they can, you know, an extended trip. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. Do you guys have like mugs and shirts when they come to visit (laughs) Woodland Hills? Are you guys like welcome here at the gift shop? You better get it. <laughs> <laughs> we we do, actually we do have little uh, cups that we can get we can give away, but that's just for fun. Um, but not even just coming to us, but going to one another. That's mm. been the, and then sending us pictures of look who I met up with, you know. And it's just the coolest thing. We did have um, one group in particular. There was a couple who was local who were getting married. And they did that during the pandemic, a very small ceremony because of what was happening. But then once things loosened up restrictions wise, they had a big reception. I'm here to tell you that people traveled from out of state to come to be a part of this reception because of people in their gathering group, because they just are feeling that connection and they celebrate the births and they celebrate, you know, the weddings and they grieve the losses and they're there with one another and they're connecting people to other people. And it's been really cool. And that is something that I'm I'm really honored to be a part of. So that's just one thing that has just been mind blowing and just such a blessing to be a part of. That kind of reminds me like as much as some people may, may kind of shirk at the idea of still having like an online component, we all kind of grew a bit sick of that. But it kind of reminds me like the way you were describing what was happening, like with those people going to the wedding, I'm like, I bet you there were folks in the early church that had a very similar experience. Like I'm thinking of like Paul who writes this letter to the Roman church that he hasn't yet visited. And yet like it later in like acts, it's like he's headed to Rome and they come and they meet him. And it's like these <laughs> long lost friends. I wonder if you have those kind of moments. Like that's what it feels like when you're, when you're sharing your, your, yourself, you're, you're writing letters, but even better, you're like, you're having zoom calls and you're connecting. And then that embodied experience becomes just more meaningful. Yeah. 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 Well, let's circle back. Go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, if you have something to say, go for it. I just wanted to move on to, to some other curiosities. Oh, let's go for it. Okay. Well, uh, so Shauna, you can ask the next one or I can, I'm happy to, uh, to, 
Go for it, Paul. You're okay. on a roll. Well, what I'm curious about is, so we're opening up this idea of church as, or, or what it means, this idea of salvation belonging to Jesus and therefore to each other. Um, I'm curious, what do we, what do we gain by this? And what do we, from an individualistic perspective, what, what's the caution in this? Like, what do we lose when, when salvation is interpreted or is not interpreted as belonging to community? And what do we gain? What are the big gains we're seeing theologically, the connection pieces? How does this become more intelligible when we live our lives in community? Okay. Yeah. So what's the loss? What's the gain? Um, well, you know, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is I, I would want to refract that question through what I believe the community is. And it's, it's, it's the church community. It's the family of God we're talking about. And again, in my short definition of that, that's missional discipleship community. And so I think that's what's on the table to gain and lose. Uh, what do we lose if we lose missional discipleship community as essential to the salvation process. Well, one, we lose community as essential to salvation. Mm. Um, and increasingly in our world, what I, at least my sense is, and, and I, I, I'm taking this from, from the ideas of, oh, you know, Benedict Anderson, uh, who wrote a book about this in the, back in the mid-80s, I think. We said that w- what's happening in our modern world is we are increasingly... Uh, trading community for what he calls imaginary community. Mm. And what I think we could call more, more updated terms, virtual community. And what, what, what I think he, now he, he was comparing that is interesting, Paul, because this goes back to something you mentioned earlier. You said that when I, when I quoted Genesis uh, 12, uh, Abrahamic promise that I didn't say nations, but I said family. Well, uh, when Anderson put this idea on the table back in the eighties of imaginary community, he was uh, construing that around the idea of the modern nation state. Mm. These uh, rather artificial geographical boundaries that people are now told gives them their identity. And they were carved out of whatever wars ended up giving who, what powerful people, what land grabs. Uh, But it was pretty artificial. But all of a sudden, people started thinking of themselves and understand themselves as these new nation states that were appearing. Um, and, and he calls this, uh, they're, they're real, they're, they're, I mean, they're real things, but they don't actually embody what you'd want to think of as real community. And so what, what it turns out is that we start trading real authentic community for imaginary communities that what they really are are loose associations of individuals that aren't held together by anything like covenant family commitment or actual connection. Rather, they're held together by accidental and usually abstract commonalities. Mm. Things they, like, well, we happen to live within these certain boundaries, or we happen to uh, support this uh, NFL football team, or you know, name your abstract community, right? Yeah. We happen to do this online thing. We all, but, but, but that... Those bonds are about as strong as the next disagreement 
or relational conflict that arises. Because I can check out of those communities, trade those communities, forget I even existed in those communities any time I want, and no one will probably ever miss me, let alone pursue me. And so um, this, this is probably why, the loss of real community, why we're the most connected and the most lonely generation this world has ever seen. That's the irony yeah. of, of imaginary community. So that's one thing we lose is actual community. Um, I think another thing we lose moving on to discipleship, uh, right? Missional discipleship community. We lose what the New Testament says is the major primary context of, of the holistic salvation, the, mm-hmm. the authentic discipleship that God calls us to. Um, the, the family of God is supposed to be the primary crucible in which I remain and you remain, which means we remain together through the difficulties of relational stuff, mm. relational mess, uh, where, where if I don't remain there, I will never learn to be weaned from my self-centeredness into other-oriented agape love. I will never learn it. I will simply transplant myself into another context where it's pretty easy because we're in a honeymoon stage of relationship and I can continue to live a rather self-centered life without ever being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And I'll never know that because I, I, I never stay long enough to have another community reflect to me the self-centeredness that lies buried deep in my heart. I'll never notice it. That's the gift of authentic, committed community. Um, See, we forget, again, because of Western individualism, that the kingdom ethic Jesus gave us, the ethic Jesus calls us to, is not an ethic for individuals. It's an ethic for a community. And um, until we get that clear, uh, I fear that we will continually be changing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the gospel of John Stuart Mill. Don't hurt each other. Um, it's nice to be nice. It's nice to be nice. But actual other-oriented, self-sacrificial agape love will not be on the table. Mm. Mm. That's so good, Paul Eddie. Thank you so much. I do, I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like we could still like dive into this a little bit more, but I do want to unpack another part of this second statement from the New Reformation. And then that is the part about the fact that to be saved is, uh, is to be called to live the life of the future now. And so I'm wondering mm, if you yes. could help us unpack that a little bit. How might a vision of that future now inform how we are forming communities, this belonging, mm. this family with one another? Oh, great question. Um, yeah, and this, this really draws us back to this three-tenths nature of salvation, right? That, mm. that, that we've been talking a lot about the, the present tense currently, that, that that, you know, it's wonderful that Paul Eddy um, came into a personal covenant relationship with Jesus in 1979, December 18th. I, I remember the day. Yes. And, and, and that's I'm sense, adding it to my calendar, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> my spiritual birthday is coming up. Now. Uh, Let's hope and, someone and, gets you something. Shauna, yeah, absolutely. I know G, at least um, Jesus okay, will. Yeah. I know Jesus yeah. will. That's okay. He's got it covered. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that, that past tensedness is absolutely essential. It, it grounds me. Mm-hmm. 
in that commitment. But the, the, the present tense, and we've been talking about that, the nature of, of community that, that I need today to be, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, those who are being saved. That's an ongoing present tense. Well, I'm being saved if I am progressively being called out of my self-centeredness into the other-oriented fruit of the Spirit. And if I'm not, then I'm not being saved. But, 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 but it's also finally about, you know, as Jesus says, it was at Matthew 24, those who will be saved, future tense. There's a completion, a, a robustness that the future holds, that if we can get a vision of that future salvation, already begins to impact our present status here. And boy, this, you know, I want to say at this point, man, read uh, N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. Is it? Such uh, a good book. Yes. Like, let, let's de-Platonize <laughs> our vision of heaven. Uh, it's not a celestial realm of clouds with little fat babies with wings playing harps. It is. It is. What? I'm sorry, it's Sana. Not, I'm it's sorry. not an eternal worship service where we're singing Amazing Grace for ten thousand oh years. Right, right. I'm sure we'll sing that song, but there's more going on there. I mean, my goodness, read, read Revelation 19 to 22, and even that, remember, is very much a pictograph, a, a, a metaphorical pictograph for the reality of a substantive new heavens and new earth where embodied people are living life together as the family of God for eternity. We're eternal siblings here. Let's get used to that, get to know each other, because this is the long game here, is this family as God's people for eternity reflecting agape love. And so that, that future vision of tangible, re- real, authentic family, covenant, siblinghood, love relationship, if that's the calling, then what we're doing now matters as we begin to progressively live into that, that calling. And um, I, I, I'll end with this. Uh, that, that Revelation 19, um, verses 7 and 9, is, I think a, a, a little snapshot, uh, almost like a Polaroid uh, snapshot of our future wedding ceremony with Jesus, where us, the bride, meets Jesus, the groom, face to face. Remember, uh, on Jesus last night, John 14, he tells his disciples, hey, I got to go now. But, but you know, if I'm going, he says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back to you to, to, to take it. See, all that language is very much what a groom would say to a bride on the betrothal ceremony. I'm going to prepare the house for you. There'll be this betrothal year where you prepare to be a bride. I prepare to be a groom. I'll get the house ready. But I come back to you to take you to the final wedding ceremony and where we will live face to face. We're not in face to face intimacy with Jesus yet. He's gone, but he's left a chunk of his heart, his Holy Spirit in us to remember and to empower us to prepare. Like this is our number one job description as as kingdom people is to prepare ourselves character wise, character logically uh, for 
actually stepping into that new heavens and new earth existence as the bride of the eternal groom. And in this, this snapshot in John 15, John sees this in a vision. There we are. We're like at the altar. We're next to Jesus. And John has this interesting comment he makes. He said, and the bride was was clothed with this fine linen, bright and clean. Now, that's just another way of what we would saying is, and the bride was wearing her wedding dress. And he said, and the dress, the gown, was composed of the righteous acts of the saints. Now, I, I, I like a little bit of d- different translation a little better. I, I think a translation like this. And the dress was the rightly related relationships of the people of God. In other words, the agape love relationships. Mm. Oh, that's our dress. See, the one thing that every bride, whether ancient or, or modern knows, is that one of the main things you do for your, your wedding is you get your wedding dress. And you don't show up with a tattered garment that you got at goodwill. You work on this thing. In the ancient world, you literally worked on it. Usually the mom and the daughter um, uh, creating it together often uh, from uh, pieces of fine linen collected uh, maybe from, from extended family because that was a lot of money to buy one one enough for a dress for a peasant family. So it was often a communal gown in, in a sense. Um, and, G, and John is saying what, what this is, is our relationships. That is the only thing that we bring to the wedding is our love relationships with each other. That is the gown that we present ourselves as a gift to at, at the altar with our wedding with Jesus. Talk about bringing the future into the present. If that's what we're destined for is our final wedding with Jesus, we are currently creating the wedding dress in our relationships, in our communities, that we will wear at our final uh, at, our, at our final wedding, which means, interestingly enough, that my relationships are not just my business. They're your business. Because my relationships become part of your wedding gown. And your relationships become part of my wedding gown because it's our corporate wedding gown, which all of a sudden means I need you in my relationships, not just to relate with me, but to challenge me and encourage me to be living into love, to be moving out of self-centeredness, to be growing in patience, to becoming an expert in peacemaking and reconciling conflicts. Um, or, or I'm not bringing my piece to the wedding dress that I'm called to bring for our wedding gown. That's, I love that you brought us to Revelation, like this, this picture, you know, John of Revelation of like these future kind of realities that we are, that we're now living into the present, like the, the now and the not yet. And, yes. and certainly like this borrows from a lot of like Jewish thinking about the ages. You had this current um, corrupted age and then the age to come. Uh, with the Messiah and the shocking thing about Jesus's resurrection is those ages are now coexisting. Yes. Like we're in this, like we're in this time of one is, is, is falling away and one is coming primary, uh, the Mm. age to come. And, and as I'm reading like these different visions of like what this age to come looks like, I think it it might actually be kind of shocking to some of our present age thinking Mm. like the big thing that, that, 
stands out to me as you share about this vision of revelation and applying it to our current context is we have this picture of like every tribe, every tongue, every nation, neither male nor female, slave nor free, uh, like all of that, it's true in the ultimate sense. And then I can, I can look at our present communities, our present way of forming churches. And sometimes it's like one tribe and one tongue. <laughs> and like, talk to me about this tension. Like, like how, how do we actually live into that future now? Mm-hmm. Um, given some of the unrest and maybe even working against this future reality. Like I imagine any Jew that like read that every nation, every time, like (laughs) it probably shocked them when like for many Jewish folks, like they never stepped foot into a Gentile's house. And and here they're now reading like, Oh God's going to bring all the families and houses together. Oh yeah. I mean, you just named the greatest scandal of the early church, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the greatest scandal. Uh, I love that phrase. That's actually yeah, yeah and right. it was it yeah. was uh, to, to tell the Jewish people that your Jewish Messiah came for the Gentiles as much as for the Jews. That that's like that, that, that sounds like heresy. <laughs> um, and yet, that was the mystery of the gospel. Paul says that's the, that that's the mystery. Paul keep at least front and center part of the mystery is this is for all people. And and uh, see, that's easy to say. In in our modern Western individualistic world, uh, which tends not to think ab- about humanity as anything beyond two things, one, individuals, and two, this sort of abstract global, all of us, mm. you know, is it, we're, either, we're either individuals or we're, we're the global totality of all, of all, but we don't do well with the modern individualist world with what you might call mid-level uh, things. Mm. We don't like mid-level. Uh, we see them as, uh, well, that's a whole other issue. Um, <laughs> read Bella's Habits of the Heart on that. But, but, but anyway, um, but see, the, the problem is, as Bella pointed out in that book in the 1980s, that church, things like church uh, and other things, but, but for our purposes, the church is a mid-level thing. It's mm. something between the global totality of all people and individuals. It's a community a committed community that calls me to have an allegiance to something that isn't everybody. It has, it has a finite bounded set to it. And that can sound very, well, it can sound exclusivistic. It can sound limiting, but here's the thing. The church is the one mid-level sized community on planet earth whose mission statement is to be for all of humanity. It's, it's the, it's the only, the only small community I, I know whose fundamental purpose is to be for non-community. <laughs> and so, uh, but see, but you, but, but you can't simply abstract from Paul Eddy to the, to all people. I need to be part of the church that is called to be for all people. And all of a sudden now the church becomes the little oases of missional discipleship community that can put on display what it does look like when, to use Paul's words in Galatians 3.28, Jew and Gentile are not separated, but they are brought together. Where, where slave and free, the two most fundamentally dichotomous economic positions you can have in the ancient world, are brought together. Where male and female is, is no longer uh, 
or, or orchestrated around patriarchal hierarchy, but rather they are brought together. Now, what, what could bring together the three most fundamentally separating dynamics in human history of gender, economic class standing, and ethnicity? What could? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what could do it. Family could do it. And particularly a family whose fundamental principle is equality under the banner of God as our father and us as simply sisters and brothers who share the same dignity, value, and worth as the image of God. The church has everything given to it to be the place that can bring together all of the differences that have separated humanity. But see, here's the thing. And this is what the modern individualistic world, I think, does not get. The modern Western secularism calls us just to be, you know, nice people to everybody just because you should. Mm. What they don't realize is we won't be, we, 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 humans cannot just do that. There's a reason those things separate. Those things separate because those things are such wonderful um powers to unite people ethnicity common ethnicity unites common gender unites common social class unites you're not uh, going yeah i'm gonna shout that out that you're half canadian i learned that well there you go right Right? so like we we had this about an hour ago (laughs) oh canada and i are both canadian and i'm like you're you're my closest bro now it's true i'm like we're gonna arrange a a vacation in winnipeg (laughs) and we're gonna we're gonna sing oh canada and drink maple syrup (laughs) absolutely Absolutely. y'all are ridiculous that's what i'm gonna say So, look, if the church wants to unite people across those divisions, you can't just go, hey, be nice people and do it. You've got to offer a more profound basis for unity than those three things. And that's what Jesus did. He gave us the unity of the eternal siblinghood under the new covenant family of God. He gave us family to do that. And, and, and even more, like, because as you're reflecting this, because at first you talked about, like, this idea of God as Father, and I was thinking, like, but even in the cross, like, this idea of, like, he he can, he destroyed the dividing walls yes. of hostility. Yes. And, like, right there, this, this image of, like, you can't even escape that our divisions oh, are being addressed yes. in the death of Jesus. Like, I love it, man. I'm glad yeah. you brought that up, Paul, because in that passage, in Ephesians 2, if Paul's right, and he is... <laughs> then that means this unity across ethnic divisions and all isn't simply something the church should get around to doing sometime. It is lodged as part of the purpose of the atoning work of Jesus. Wow. It, when was the last time you heard that in like uh, oh, an atonement never heard Easter, that growing Easter up. <laughs> message, right? Like you go to the yeah. Easter, go to an Easter service and people are like, you know, like for your sins, like next challenge to church leaders out there next will be like so racial diversity this good Friday right yes 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 absolutely I love this conversation so much and right now I'm literally praying because I can I am envisioning folks who hear this family of God language it's such a beautiful vision but family has been so Ugh, corrupted yeah. for folks. Sometimes that's not, it doesn't like emote these positive feelings. And so 
I think we need to, it takes a vision of what it's supposed to be, can be. And I love how you said it's equality under the banner of God, uh, belonging to one another, self-sacrificially. That's beautiful. And so when we're saying family of God, we are not... Just take out all the dysfunction that maybe you're picturing or have experienced because this is like the, the true family uh, that is um, glorious and positive and loving and um, belonging to and for one another. And so that is something that I am praying that our listeners are really mm. grabbing hold of. Yes. I do want to read a quote by Bonhoeffer, Paul, that I would like to get your reflections on um, as we are starting to circle around our landing point in our conversation today. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. That's a loaded one, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. But I, you couldn't have picked a better quote for this moment in the conversation, I, I don't think. Because when we start talking about, as you just said, Shauna, you preface this quote by saying, man, this beautiful vision. And that, you know, we, we all come, all of us come from in one way, shape or form, some dimension of broken family, of a family that was not reflecting the perfect uh, love of, of Father God. And so, you know, as we come to know God at the personal level, every one of us are going to have to be um, learning about the radical agapeic love of God through Jesus, through, through what Jesus shows us is the truth about God not by how we've imagined family or father or parent to be in our own broken context, right? And th this happens to a lot of folks that they, they sort of transpose onto God the brokenness of human relationships they've experienced. And we, we know at the individual level, we've, we've got to see Jesus as who the father is or we'll, we'll have some distorted picture of God. But the same thing becomes true now for community, um, if I just think about family or, or community, apart from what God calls us to and powers to empower, uh, to promises to empower us for, I'll, I'll look at just broken human community or broken human family and, and be either um, discouraged from the beginning or, or, or uh, unclear as to what, what I'm actually being called to. So the importance of getting Clarity around what we're called to is really important. But then again, and here's that already not yet to mention here. If you get real clear on the beautiful father heart of God and the community to which he, he calls us, and then you step into actual <laughs> community with other sinners saved by grace like you, uh, in about 10 minutes, you can decide that you love the beautiful vision of the future much more than the current brokenness of the present and i think this no is, doubt th th this becomes an explanation for why there isn't much church community in the modern western church because the vision of the beauty of it 
can easily become something we keep seeking by jumping from one expression to another, to another, to another, looking for quote unquote, the perfect church mm-hmm. to be a part of. Yes. And see what I got to remind myself there. Cause I get that. I, I totally get that. I got to remind myself though, that even if I found the perfect church, if I jump into it, I've just made it not the perfect church now. Mm. <laughs> it's no me. Way. It's me. <laughs> it's me that's the problem. <laughs> I think there's a Taylor um, Swift song. It's me. I know. Just, it's me. Hot. <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. Should do serious on that, Shauna. <laughs> uh, so that's the challenge. And no, it was the challenge for Paul's church. I mean, my goodness, you hear, you read the first half of Paul's letters. Where he's doing theology of the church. Then you read the last half where he's dealing with the challenges of the actual churches he's dealing with. You go, what, what, what happened here? It's like, there never was a golden age, folks. Paul was dealing with the same mess as you and I are. That, but, but he knew that the beautiful reality to which we are being transformed happens in the midst of the beautiful mess that we actually are today. That, that, that's the mystery of the church. And uh, that's why Bonhoeffer's quote is, is so crucial. If I, if I trade the beauty of the future vision for the mess of the church today, then the church of today never becomes the future it's called into. That, that's the paradox. So good. So, so I think like that's exactly it is like we're living in the now and the not yet that tension where we do encounter yes. the brokenness. We do encounter like all the blemishes and it makes me wonder like, Oh man, how are we going to do this? Like, it's so hard to, to live in that kind of tension. Um, I'm kind of reminded that like Stanley Howard Wass once said that like, it's no accident that anytime the church is mentioned in the creeds or the communion of the saints, the line that goes before it is the Holy spirit. Mm. And I'm curious, like what, what it might, what does it look like for the spirit to make possible this miracle of community? Mm. Right? Like I, I can't explain it any other way. Like it makes no sense that slaves and slave owners somehow sat at the same table. Yes. And yet, and yet there's this idea of like, they're a body, they belong to each other. Like, could you, could you tell us a bit about like this idea of welcoming the spirit as Jesus in our midst that makes yes. possible community? Yes. Oh man. Uh, and here's boy, unpacking the role, the, the spirit's role in all of this. Right. Um, Cause like, it's so easy. Like in some, in some traditions, it's like, we could be, we could be really great at like this, contrived idea of community and we can have all these great values. We can have like a lot of like pie in the sky thinking and, and have no discussion how we're going to land this and forget that it's bigger than just, you know, really good organizing that we really need the spirit's help. Right. Absolutely. And, and and then recognizing not only that we need the spirit's help, but then recognizing and, and being able to practically and concretely articulate with each other, where will that help come <laughs> in what context should we expect the spirit to help us? And in what ways, right? Uh, and, and I think this is where that, this is where we can begin to get very clear with ourselves that a lot of our dream of community, and this, I think goes right back to Bonhoeffer's quote here, Yeah, that our dream of community is in fact an illusion Mm. It's, it's not the, the, the dream is an illusory dream that we have 
that supplants God's actual real dream for his community. Uh, my dream of community is one in which the community that I step into is perfectly tailored for me. That it, that <laughs> it meets all, it meets all my needs. It's a church that has the perfect uh, youth group for my kids that, that all the worship songs yeah. are the ones that help me connect with. Right? And mm. you realize all of a sudden why we we've turned church into a consumeristic spectator sport mm. because that's exactly what you would do with a mid-level set of relationships in modern Western consumeristic world we live in. Come now, preach. <laughs> yeah, but, but here's the thing. If church is actually the crucible, the relational crucible, in which I, as much as anybody, am weaned off of my self-centeredness, which is, I think, the, the, the defining um, hallmark of sin, estrangement from God is simply I've placed myself rather than God and others at the center of reality. And, and yet I can be pretty self-centered and for most of my life, be pretty nice to others and still, you know, put my prayer time in and, and actually to some degree, you know, love and care about God, but I can retain my basically fundamental self-oriented life and worldview, but not when you step into an authentic community where relational conflicts will happen and where the measure and barometer of my transformation into the image of Christ will be how I respond to conflicts in those relationships, which means all of a sudden that the, the community of the church, the most crucial aspect of it is the times when I don't want to be there, when I want to go to a different church. So that's when I a hard found word. All the reasons yeah. to leave this place and try the building three blocks down. That's when the church becomes the church for me in the way that it must become the church if it's going to do its role in my present tense salvation, mm-hmm. calling me out of myself to lay down my life, lay down my rights, lay down my proclivities and preferences in order to actually honor yours and at the same time challenge you to lay down yours for a greater thing than you or me. And that's us, an us that emerges in the midst of our, of our diversity. I love what you're saying. And I love, again, I'm going to say, I really value this conversation. And again, I feel like we're, we're painting this beautiful picture for folks. Uh, but there's also, and also, <laughs> not but, and also <laughs> there is this reality that we are a bunch of broken humans that are coming together, trying to belong to him and to one another. And humans are going to human, right? Which means uh, the, the very real, um, very real. So that's so funny. Humans are going to human. I love that. That's great, John. I'm stealing that. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. But, but what that looks like is there have been real hurts um, and real damage mm, yes. that people have experienced. And so what encouragement can we offer for those who say, I have been deeply wounded by a faith community and I don't know that I can just hang in there because we know like 
on a variety of scales, there has been some shenanigans that happen. And, and then just the interpersonal stuff that happens when you're belonging to other folks. So what encouragement can we offer? And would you say, Paul Eddie, that there is ever a time just to kind of take a step back from being a part of a church community and just to get some, some rest and healing. So it's kind of a two-parter Yeah, encouragement. And then is there permission to take a little bit of a step back if need be? Right. Uh, uh, this is such an important question, Shauna, because, um, you know, and this brings out so many paradoxes, I think, to, to, to the kingdom, uh, to the way of Jesus, so many paradoxes. Um, and one of the paradoxes here that I think your question forces us to take a look at is as important as, as the community of the church is to everything we've been talking about, to salvation itself, if we understand the New Testament holistic vision of salvation, as important as the church is to all of that, the church is not the vine. Mm. The church is not the shepherd. The church is not the head. The church is not, the church is not Jesus. Amen. Jesus is Jesus. And the church is the church. Jesus is the head and the church is Jesus's body. And Jesus's body, unfortunately, does not always respond to the signals that the head is sending it. The, the, Mm. the, The spinal cord is not always working as properly as it should, uh, that the head would want to. And in a sense, I think uh, that's kind of one of my understandings of the church is, is Jesus, our head of our body, is slowly but surely reattaching the nervous system back to the various components <laughs> of the body. It's very Frankenstein like. as a body. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, and the Holy Spirit is, is the primary conduit of, of forming these, this nervous system. But the, but the point to that is that that in our appreciation of a need for the church, we cannot forget that our life has to be found not in the church itself as the church, but rather in Jesus Christ as the un, unrivaled expression of the radical agape love of God, unconditional love of God. It's, as we connect to the head, as, as, as we are each branches that are connected to the vine, now as branches, we can begin to connect to each other. That's why I think Jesus is very clear in the great two-part love commandment that sum up all 613 of the commandments of the old covenant under two. But he's very clear that there's a priority to those two. The first and greatest is to be in love relationship with God, with your heart, soul, and mind. Then be in, in love relationship with each other. And the fact is, you can only be in love relationship with, with each other if we are all first gaining that sense of absolute, unconditional value, dignity, and worth conferred upon us by God simply because of who God is. And so it's back to the question of, are we connected to the vine? Now then, then we can move to the question of, what do I do if my connection to the branches has hurt me? has deeply wounded me, that my connection to the community of God, which is supposed to be a, ta- a foretaste of heaven, might actually have been a foretaste of hell for me. How do we actually address that, right? Because it can be. It can very much be yeah. um, the case. And so uh, to your second part of the question, is, is it okay to step back sometimes? You know, I've, I've whatever my theological answer might be to that question, what I can tell you is 
my experiential practical answer has been shaped by what a lot of people at Woodland Hills have told me over the years of coming to Woodland and oftentimes in their words, quote unquote, sitting at the back of the auditorium, coming into the building, talking to no one, just sitting there and often weeping through the worship time or through the, the, what they've heard of a different gospel than they ever heard before. And just walking out of the building and having an opportunity, quiet of their heart with a God they did not know existed, a father they did not know really radically loved them. So I think, yes, sometimes to detox from what the church has done to you, you might need to take an, a, an emotional and existential step back from, from that context of pain in order to have a connection with God that can give you the strength to step back into the game with people again. Yeah. Thank you so much. For literally, that. literally have been there, done that. So yeah. <laughs> we have that experience too in, in our church in Winnipeg that, yeah, there's a lot of people they are just looking for a place of refuge. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's okay to, to but isn't it interesting? Even there, that place there, of refuge, it's you're the surrounded yeah. by the, it's the church. It's a different expression, hopefully yes. less harming church people. Yes. Uh, but we will hurt you eventually, right? Like we're all sinners. <laughs> Just right? give us a chance. <laughs> right? I'll, I'll probably say something dumb. Put my phone uh, in my mouth. Yes. All that. Okay. We're going to wind this down and hopefully bring it to some sort of landing, uh, even if it's a crash landing. Uh, so here we go. Um, I'm just curious, what advice would you give to either like a church leader or like a home church leader or just like a really engaged person that just wants to get better and making space for this understanding of salvation as belonging, as being a person that, that wants to practice and live in a community. Do you have any just initial advice to that person that's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I need, yeah. to, I need to take some steps here. What would, you, what would you throw at that person in like five minutes or less? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you put a time limit on it because there's a book to be written here, right? Um, <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny you asked this because this was a question that was just posed to me a couple of weeks ago by a, a former Bethel student of mine who was in a class I taught on, on uh, covenant relations, where one of the main covenants I talked about was the church as a covenant community. And they, this, this young woman got really excited about this idea. She had never heard of this. And she... Um, started, planted a a, a small house church uh, over the last year. And she wanted to get on Zoom with me because she said, um, I was so excited to do this. And after six months, I can't think about anything but leaving it as quickly as possible. <laughs> that sounds like some reality check. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She said, oh, I, know that, I know that sounds wrong, but I'm just telling you, that's where I'm at. So we jumped on Zoom. And, um, Humans are going to human. Yeah. And, and human. the first thing I said to her was, because I had shared in the class that, that my most profound experience, I still believe, of church was a, a house church I was part of. Um, for a decade in, in my 20s. And I said, uh, you know, I'll tell you the first thing I'll say to you is, I look back on that decade, this house church experience as such a beautiful, beautiful, profound experience. But when I do that, I forget, it's easy to forget how many times during that decade, 
I wanted to leave, uh, that it wasn't fun, that actually there were at least four times during that decade that we disbanded, <laughs> uh, sometimes for a couple of weeks, sometimes for a couple of months, um, that I guess the first thing I'd say to your question is for us to practically as church leaders begin to live into the, this idea that, that at the heart of holistic salvation is the idea of belonging to the community of God is to begin with the very stark recognition that in any context, this is difficult. But in an individualistic modern world we live in, it is uber difficult to, to live this out. There's a reason that this, the church community is the context for my transformation from self-centeredness to other-orientedness. And that is because any relationship worth its salt, any relationship that is committed over time to growth together is going to be difficult. That's why marriages end at about 43%. That is why friendships rarely survive <laughs> over time. And that is why church communities find it very difficult. Notice the three main areas of relationship in our community, in our, in our context, marriage, friendship, and church, in the long run, find it very difficult to survive. Why? Because those are the places that if they're working well, force me out of self-centeredness into actual love relationship. And that is a difficult, difficult process. The most difficult transformation on planet earth. Um, so be ready for that because that's what you're signing up for. And then, then see the good news of that is when it starts to suck and it will. <laughs> yeah. And it suck, by the way, is a technical theological term that means totally. not going it well. It was yeah. in that one creedal Absolutely. council. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, when it starts to suck, know that you and the apostle Paul are right in the same spot of this is what, what it means to be a church leader. Uh, this is what it means to, to be in the crucible where this transformation can actually happen. So one, don't expect otherwise. That's where Bonhoeffer's quote comes back. Don't get an illusion and then be disappointed by your expectations. Yeah. Expect what you're signing up for. That, that's just the reality. And, and you know, right along part, part, and parcel that, expect, therefore, marriages in your churches to be coming under serious attack. Okay. Expect friendships, which we never talk about in the church. We just keep trading up or trading over when things fall apart. Here's, here's a challenging message. Um, challenge people in your church not to trade friends when threat friends get difficult, but to have friendship be a crucible mm. where we work through conflict and we be see, I think the dream that God has for the church is that every little local expression of the church ultimately is to be the experts on planet earth of relational conflict resolution. Wow. Yeah. We are supposed to be the place that the UN comes knocking on our doors to ask the question, how in the world do you get different ethnicities and genders and socioeconomic classes to live together in love? How do you guys do this? And if they're not knocking at our doors, it just means we have a little more work to do. Mm. But, but see, that is the, that's the vision. That's the calling. That's the mm. reality. And so we are to be the experts of relational conflict resolution. And that's just hard work. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that'd be my first piece of advice, I guess, is know what you're signing up for 
play the long game, because that's what this is, and realize, as the Apostle Paul did, that you'll probably have more failures than successes. That's part of the growth process. That, that's, that's part of what it means for the church now to be transformed into the image of Jesus. To bring this around, uh, earlier Shauna had said she loves hearing you talk about covenant. And essentially, I think that's what you're saying in your advice there is like, absolutely. You, you want folks to engage with like relationships of covenant and not yes. relationships of, of contract. Yes. And easily like, to, like that, that is so beautiful. Cause like I'm, I'm listening to you say this. I'm like, this kind of sounds like some of the stuff I, tell like engaged couples before exactly. get married. I'm like, get, know what you're signing up for. Know, yep. know that every marriage has conflict. Every marriage has, you know, you know, rocks and then also, you know, bumps, but also like amazing moments Yes, where it's like euphoria. It's like, you just thank God for that person in your life. Well, and here's the thing to, 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 um, press a little deeper, the analogy you just gave, cause it does sound a lot like, like premarital counseling. That's exactly right. But here's the thing. Uh, at, at least in terms of rough statistics from what I've seen, uh, those marriages that we, we pour all that into and the premarital counseling and all the pl- in our Western context still end at about 43%. So we need an even better model yeah. of what we're talking about than that. And I would propose that actually what, what doesn't end at 43% is brother and sister relationships. In actual biological families, you know, you might not talk to your brother or sister. You might be really upset with them. You might even be, quote unquote, estranged from them, but they remain your brother and your sister. We don't have legal divorce proceedings against our brothers and our sisters. We just put up with sucky families sometimes, right? That's why I think the siblinghood in Jesus, that is one, the reality It's really true because of the new covenant that when I say yes to Jesus and you say yes to Jesus, we instantly become siblings. We don't need a second ceremony for that. It just happens. And if we believe that, and if we could realize that our siblinghood in Jesus is of the same nature as biological siblinghood is, all of a sudden you realize, I can't escape this. There's no divorcing each other. The church down the end of the block all I've done is I've left an estranged sibling behind. Mm. And that's not what family does. Family works to, if you're going to leave a church, make sure you leave with all relationships intact. Because maybe God might be calling you to another, but don't leave because of estranged relationships any more than you would a biological sibling. That siblinghood is what can hold us together uh, because that's the way God made it. This has been so good. I, I've enjoyed our time hanging out with brother Paul Eddy. This is like, Shauna, it's really great that you get to work with him on staff. I, I love his insights. Like I said, great. lucky lady over here. Lucky lady. <laughs> hey, I want to thank you, listening audience, for tuning into this exciting conversation. And uh, yeah, I would encourage you to take that next step to belong, um, to maybe mm. like think of ways you could put in some of this discussion in practice. And so, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you made it this far, you get a gold star. And- <laughs> yeah, you do. Thanks for tuning in. 
don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can find more resources and upcoming events, learn about getting involved through partnership, and donate so we can keep offering content like this and engage more people and churches around the world. We'd also love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and feedback. You can drop us a message on social media or email us at connect at jesuscollective.com. Until next time.